it is. Yes, it, the recording is okay. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Okay, thank everyone. Extra credit today. Had I known, I would have prepared. <laughs> this week's Parsha has a section of it that gets uh, very little uh, emphasis uh, in our education. And yet, since it appears in the Parsha, it certainly is worthy of uh, analysis and of our understanding. And that is that uh, Avram Avinu takes as a wife after the death of Sarah a woman by the name of Keturah. And this woman is very fertile. And she gives birth to uh, a large number of children who are the progenitors of Semitic nations. And uh, the Parsha teaches us that Avram Avinu gave them gifts. In other words, he gave them their share of inheritance of his wealth. And he sent them away that they should not be in the same area as his son Yitzchak. So the uh, Rashi points out, based on the Medrash and the Gemara, what gifts did he give them? So the uh, simple explanation is, as I mentioned, that he gave them wealth. He gave them a share of the estate, so to speak. But Rashi adds what the... uh, Medrash says, Shame Tuma Mosalohem. Now that is a uh, very difficult uh, phrase. What does that mean? Shame, the name of Tuma, of something that is impure, he gave that to them. That was the gift that he gave them. What in the world is that? And it's interesting that uh, there's very little uh, commentary regarding this. And these children of Avrombavinu, who are our relatives... Uh, they spread out throughout the Middle East. And some of them became great nations. And this is aside from Yishmael, who Avram recognized in his lifetime as being the progenitor of a great nation. And who Avram... uh, Prayed for Yishmael, Louis Yishmael Yichyel Lefanecho, 
Alavai Yishmoel should live and be well. Why should Yishmoel live and be well? The Torah described him as Pereodom, a wild man. Yorabakol, Viat Kolbo, he's always at war. His hand is raised against everyone and everyone against him. And yet Avram Avinu feels that he is worthy of prayer and that uh, the Rabboni Shalom promises him, I accept your prayer regarding Yishmuel. He'll be a great nation, numerous, play a great role in history. So, uh, on the one hand, we have Avram and Yitzchak, rather Avram Sora, giving birth to Yitzchak, which is something very, very miraculous and very individual and it's not something that at all includes anyone else. It's exclusive. Only through Yitzchak will it be known that you had uh, generations later. And then the Torah tells us he has so many generations. The Torah will recount for us all the generations of Yishmael. And then the Torah recounts for us all the generations that came from Keturah. We all know the Medrash Rashi again quotes it, that Keturah is Hogar. So these are Yishmoel's brothers. And all of this is, uh, I don't know, I don't want to say glossed over, I just said it. But uh, all of this is, uh, it's not the point of departure when we learn Chumash and we learn this week's Parsha. This week's parsha, we devoted to Eliezer and to Rivka and to Yitzchak, and this is just like uh, like in last week's parsha. The lad, the end was uh, of the names of all of those uh, descendants. What is what is all of this about? Is there a deeper meaning? I mean, there certainly is. But what can we take from this? So I thought about it. There's a basic question here that the Jews uh, have asked themselves over the generations. And the basic question is, you got a world of seven and a half billion people. In the seven and a half billion people, there maybe are 14, 15, 16 million Jews, Cain Yerba. Not even 1% of the population. 
not the rest of the people. You know, there's an old bad joke that uh, a uh, Jewish young man from a very small shtetl in Poland somehow found himself in Germany and lived in Berlin for a while. And when he came back home to his shtetl, so his father asked him, he said, uh, how many Jews are there in Berlin? So he said, uh, 30, 35,000. He said, wow, Cain Yerbu, wow, in the shtetl, you know, it's 80 Jews. 35,000. He said, how many Goyim are there? She said, three million. She said, what do they need somebody Goyim for? <laughs> That's a good question, right? That's the basic question here. What, what? So, uh, the Jewish thinkers have wrestled with this problem throughout the ages, even though I must admit that that does not really occupy much of a uh, place of importance in the curriculum of Jewish schools throughout the ages. But the basic question, anybody that has... Uh, you know, any intelligence uh, has to uh, deal with the question. So Avram Avinu, his task in the world is to spread the idea of monotheism. That there's a creator and the world was created and that we are all given a soul by the creator and the idea is to serve the Creator by conforming to the moral standards and ideas uh, that He has taught us. So as far as the general world is concerned, there is a standard called Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach. Seven mitzvahs that the children of Noah, that the general world has to observe. And that includes no paganism, it includes uh, sexual morality, it includes no murder, it includes no stealing, it includes no false oaths. Basic principles of civilization. Not to eat animals while they're alive, and this was the task of Avram Avinu to spread this message throughout the world. That's what it means. Ayikra Avram b'shem Hashem keilolo. He proclaims God throughout the world. Whoever wants to uh, listen here will realize that there's a God in the world. That's Avram's mission. Somebody says they can't see the Zoom. Let me just...
can't see it, I can't hear C is not important. Okay, can't connect to our service. Please check your network. Uh, uh, um, uh, hello, Mark. Yeah. They're saying it can't connect to the service. Please check the network. That's obviously what the problem is. Sorry, everybody. Um, that's what it is. That's all right. That's his. Well, just he'll let us use it. Okay, <laughs> fine. Okay. It's uh, it, now. It's just talking about pre preparing the meeting. It's not happening. Okay. Uh, you you can hear me. I don't know where that's coming from. Okay, I don't want to stop rubber wine. I'll work it out. Rubber wine, just continue. Okay. Sorry. So, I don't know if he knew didn't have Zoom either, so. So his idea was to spread it throughout the world. And, uh, Yishmael was to be one of the instruments. As were his other children through Ktura. They were going to spread the ideas that Avraham Avinu uh, taught, the Sheva Mitzvahs B'nai Noach, throughout civilization. Now there's a remarkable piece in the Meiri Rabbeinu Menachem Amiri, in his introduction to Ovot, so he, I don't know where he derived it from, but he's a great Rishon. He says that at the time of the death of Avram, he had been so successful that over 50% of the world already were on the side of monotheism. And that only later, the world sank back into paganism. But as long as Avram was around, he was able to sway the majority of the world to the idea of monotheism. So what does Rashi mean, what does the Gemara mean when it says, Shem Tuma Mosarlayim? What's the idea of a name of Tuma? So most of them force him say an interesting idea that he the name of God he gave to them, but 
their understanding of it, uh, how they received it in the transmission, was imperfect. The word uh, tohor in Hebrew means pure, 100%. Tomei, which is the opposite of tohor, doesn't necessarily mean uh, 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 completely negative. It means it's not 100% tohor. Something that's not 100% tohor is automatically tomei. But Tomei may have in it redeeming features. So, for instance, by Pora Aduma, we say that the coin that uh, performs the service becomes Tomei. He's no longer 100% Tahor, but he's still the coin, he still did the service, still created the Pora Aduma. So it's not a completely negative thing. It's an imperfect status. So that is what the Mephorshim say is meant by shame Tumo Mosar Lohem. They received the message of Avram Avinu. They received the message of monotheism but they received it imperfectly. And so to speak, it was polluted, was cluttered with other things. And the Rambam says, for instance, the famous piece in Ilchus Malachim uh, about Christianity. The Rambam is very strong in his... Uh, theological opposition to Christianity. Even though he did not live in Christian countries, and maybe that's why he was able to express himself so strongly. The Ashkenazim did not express themselves that strongly because they lived in Christian countries. So there were those that held that Christianity was Avodazara was paganism. The Ashkenazim held that it was not paganism, it was something called Shituf. Shituf is a partnership. It's monotheism plus. So it's not pure monotheism, that's the Tuma. That's the imperfection. It's not pure monotheism. It's monotheism plus. So in the Catholic doctrine, it's uh, plus uh, the Trinity, that idea. Later on, uh, when Christianity developed uh, the Protestant movement, so that diminished. But the Rambam says that uh, Christianity is the vehicle, it's the vessel, by which the ideas of uh, the Messianic era and of Judaic morality get to the re- got to the rest of the world. They didn't get there through Judaism. They got there through Christianity. 
And that's what the Western world calls today the Judeo-Christian heritage, which today is under serious attack. And the same thing is true regarding Islam. Islam is a uh, purer form of monotheism than Christianity. But it is based upon uh, Muhammad's prophecies and uh, of a great deal of the uh, paganism of the Middle East at the time of Muhammad is incorporated in the Muslim religion. So even though it is by itself purely monotheistic, but it also is imperfect because it encompasses uh, the pagan uh, ideas and behavior of the times which remain until today. And uh, you're talking about religions that number billions of people. So the Rambam saw this as, uh, saw these religions as vessels by which uh, the basic ideas of monotheism and of morality could be transmitted to the world even in an imperfect form. So there arises a question that philosophy uh, deals with. Is it better to have something in its imperfect form or we have to have only perfection and that by introducing anything in an imperfect form we automatically uh, negate its truth and its value. That's a philosophic question that cuts across all lines and all societies and all issues. You know, so uh, President Reagan famously said when he compromised on a certain uh, piece of legislation, he said, it's better to have 60% of something than 100% of nothing. But there are those who want 100%, and 60% is uh, seen to be uh, uh, a, uh, not only a weakening of position, but a uh, distortion. So the Rambam asks this question, right? The Rambam is of the opinion that Christianity is a positive thing and Islam is a positive thing even though it's a shame tumor. And that's what the uh, Talmud and the Medrash meant when they said that Abram gave them shame tumor. He gave them what they, could, what they were going to take, what they were going to do. And that, uh, so to speak, he, was it going to be 60% or 80%? Okay, let it be that, rather than being pure paganism all the way. But that the Jewish people 
through Yitzchok, he be Yitzchok, he kore lechozora. So that's not a shame tumor. That is tahara, and tahara is pure, and pure is one hundred percent. It does not allow for any uh, deviation or compromise. And uh, that is a great uh, debate that exists uh, even within Jewish life today. I remember that uh, there was... uh, Someone that mentioned to uh, my father-in-law, he, this person was uh, a worshiper in a, uh, I think it was a conservative or a reform congregation. And uh, he said to my father-in-law, he said, uh, Rabbi Levine, it's better than nothing. And my father was said to him, let me think about it. Because that's a good question. Is better than nothing good? Or better than nothing is also just nothing. It's a different form of nothing. And that eventually doesn't lead to anything positive. So when the Mephorshim looked at Avram Avinu, they saw again that he wanted to spread monotheism throughout the world. But uh, apparently 100% monotheism couldn't sell in that society, in a pagan society. We see that from Christianity. Christianity had to adopt and adapt to it a myriad customs and ideas that are pagan. All sorts of things that are absolutely pagan. In order to sell the main message, because people love their customs, people love what they're accustomed to, and people love uh, superstition over logic, you see this from all the conspiracy theories that, that abound without end. The wilder the idea, the more it's accepted. So if you come and want to eliminate all of that, to a great extent you don't have an audience. The message won't get through. So therefore he gave them the shame tumor. He gave them an imperfect name. An imperfect monotheism. In the idea that somehow, eventually the dross would fall away and the main message would exist. Over the centuries, sometimes this has happened and sometimes it has not. And it remains an open question whether or not that's a positive thing or a negative thing. Really, the Mephoshim say it depends what the people do with it. 
are they uh, ascending with it or descending with it? But this goes to the heart of the matter of uh, the place of the Jewish people in the world and of society and how we view the non-Jewish world. So if we view them as a vessel that will somehow uh, improve, so uh, that's one way. If we view them uh, in the prism of history and see that they really have not improved much, so then it was not a benefit, but it was a detriment that they were given the shame tumor. So that's the world that we live in too. How, uh, how to look at the world. How to look at the outside world. So uh, there's a stream within the Jewish people that ignores it completely. Who cares what the outside world thinks of us? Who cares what happens in the outside world? And then there are those that are uh, universalists, that everything in the outside world should be encouraged and brought in and uh, tempered by our faith and our beliefs and our behavior. And this is an ongoing debate. It's been an ongoing debate for millennia. It didn't start today. And it won't be settled today either. And the Torah points it out to us by telling us that Avraham Avinu had other children as well. And other nations came from him. And other beliefs came from him. But to us it was a Shem Tuma. It's imperfect. It doesn't have the purity of the exclusiveness necessary. But nevertheless, it's here. Then the question becomes, what will be done with it and what will be accomplished with it? So I think that that's food for us to think about, uh, not only this week's Parsha, but generally. Uh, because uh, that's a debate that exists. And it exists even on a political level and even on a diplomatic level. Should we care what the United Nations thinks of us? Ben-Gurion said famously, um shmum. Who cares? On the other hand, uh, should we endeavor not to be the pariah amongst nations? Should we endeavor not to be uh, condemned on everything that we do? So uh, these are the questions that are posed. The Parsha poses these questions to us, and we can think about them, and everybody finds their own way in life to be able to deal with them. But I think that's an important uh, issue that's raised in the Parsha that oftentimes is overlooked. <laughs> I want to thank you all for coming, uh, avoiding the marathon.
and uh, it'll be easier next Friday. And uh, they changed the clock, but this remains 10 o'clock on the new clock.